for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Charlie Stevens. How's it going today, Charlie? Pretty good. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Enjoying. You know, it's rare that I actually enjoy Mondays, but for like the last few months, Mondays are just kind of refreshing. Like, I don't know if it's the quarantine, if it's, I don't know what it is, but, you know, I, I actually kind of look forward to Mondays, right? the last few months so exciting yeah. times so first off i want to thank you for jumping on the podcast um how are things you're currently in fort collins colorado how are things going there uh things going pretty good here yeah uh, i don't know we're starting to starting to open up a little bit more uh it's been a little bit more music happening with kind of social distancing and stuff like that um yeah, I don't know. We're hoping that it doesn't jump back up, but right now we we seem to be doing okay. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the places around here, especially the music uh, spots, are kind of starting to suffer. We're starting to lose some of those places up here, and uh, that's that's pretty tough. We were kind of hoping we would all push through this a little bit quicker and keep places afloat, but it seems like it's it's kind of dragging out, and and places that are really dedicated to music are are starting to struggle now. Um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I, ultimately I think, uh, things are, things are, are, are good. They're better than they could be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you'd mentioned before we jumped on here that, um, uh, y'all have been kind of doing the, uh, drive in concert series. Yeah, that's right. That's something that's, uh, kind of started, or well, I guess started in Colorado, right? Uh, you know, I don't know too much about the history of it, but they've been doing up here at the at the Holiday Twin. There's a really cool one going on tomorrow night uh, with another uh, bluegrass band. They're called Woodbelly, really awesome band. So that's that's cool. Um, but yeah, I'm not exactly sure the history of it. I don't believe they were doing that before this this happened. I don't know if they used to do them there way back in the day, but this was sort of a response to the situation. Mm -hmm. um, to my knowledge, I'm not really sure how it all got started. Yeah. And no, that's definitely where, how it got started was a response to the whole COVID thing because they were wanting to, musicians were wanting to play and put on shows and they had like all these um, drive-in theaters and yeah. So like that's, uh, that's definitely what I thought I remember reading somewhere that it like initiated in Colorado or like the first few, that's where it happened. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. These were the first ones that I started hearing about, I think. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's kind of cool to, to see that even though places are having a tough time and, and everything, it is really kind of awesome to see how people are adapting to it and, and, you know, cool things are still kind of happening and people who are dedicated to this are still kind of making moves. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's kind of, I think we we're all hoping that we would be in a little bit of a better place by now. So it's been kind of a, a long winter here, but um yeah no that's definitely definitely pretty cool 
I haven't made it to any of them yet, but I'm hoping to go tomorrow night, check out that Woodbelly show. So, Awesome. Awesome. So before we jump too deep into everything, uh, can you kind of give us your origin story? What got you into music? Stuff like that. Oh, sure. Um, well, that's kind of a long story. I started playing many years ago, mostly uh, around the house. My my family is really uh, into music. My dad played a little bit of guitar and uh, kind of got us into it at kind of an early age. We would kind of sing around the house with him and strum on the guitar. And my mom was constantly listening to music and stuff like that. Um, a big thing for me was having an older brother that liked to play too. So me and him were constantly, uh, you know, just jamming around the house and stuff like that. Um, and that's kind of what, what led me to Colorado was playing in a band with him years after that, we kind of came out here and, uh, tried to do the band out here for a little bit, but it was sort of a, a quick move and it didn't really work out for the whole group. So, uh, I'm kind of still out here and that project has kind of moved on, but, uh, I kind of liked it out here. I ended up going to school. They opened up a bluegrass program for the first time ever at a Colorado school out here and I got involved with that at the early stages so it uh seemed to be a really good fit for me I started falling in love with bluegrass around the time I got out to Colorado and there's a lot of jams out here so mm -hmm. I'm from the east coast I don't know if I mentioned that I'm from New Haven Connecticut and uh there, there, there's some kind of uh there's a great music scene there but for bluegrass it's kind of it's kind of sparse so I didn't really get mm -hmm. that bug until I got out west um but yeah i kind of sunk sunk my teeth into the scene out here and it's been good to me so far that's awesome that's awesome and so what was it about bluegrass that kind of spoke to you um it's hard to say but one of the things was definitely um the community nature of the music you know like you'd go to these jams and I would just be completely mind blown by watching the things that people could do on their instruments. Um, but there was no divide between them and everybody else there having a good time. And people would, would uh, go. One time I, I saw this girl with a mandolin go and she had just bought the mandolin that day and didn't know anything about it. And this guy was like, oh, let me show you. Put your fingers here. And there was just no ego about it, no intent to. I, I don't know that the only intent was to try to help her become part of the community and, and engage and kind of strum along with us and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I've just seen that happen time and time again. I just feel it's very accessible music and, and it's also just very fun to play. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, my experience. My experiences in the bluegrass community has definitely been very similar. It's uh, it's never been anything, never been anything but positive and you know very communal and very like just very wanting to help each other succeed you know every every year in january we go down to the keys and we do we do media for a bluegrass festival that was our inner our initial introduction to bluegrass and mm -hmm. from there we just kind of started working with a bunch of different bluegrass bands and uh, a couple of years ago we got introduced to uh, tyler grant i don't know are you familiar with yeah absolutely uh, i kind of figured because he he seems to be pretty well known up in colorado because he's what he's in boulder or something like that uh, yeah or, i think so something like that but uh yeah we got introduced to him and then he introduced us to a bunch of colorado musicians and it's like 
I wasn't expecting a huge bluegrass scene in Colorado. And then it's like, nope, you got like all these bluegrass festivals that happen in Colorado. So it's, it's a very happening scene out there. So. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's what makes this whole summer so tough for everybody because, you know, none of that stuff is, is really going on. But again, uh, you mentioned Tyler Grant and he's a great example of somebody who's kind of been making lemonade with this situation. Cause he's been doing a lot of great, Facebook live stuff and uh, staying pretty active and doing and doing cool things. So, um, you know, that kind of inspired me. I saw what he was doing and I started just kind of using the time to practice more and yeah. get certain stuff together. And, you know, so uh, that's, that's kind of the silver lining to it, but yeah, no, this community is great for stuff like that. Um, I, I've started going to this festival Rocky grass for, uh, I think I went three years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were pretty bummed that that couldn't happen. I think that was just supposed to be last week or two weekends ago or something like that. But yeah, um, yeah. but that was that was a really good experience for me. That kind of you know just opened a lot of doors, and you you just get to jam with people who are just unreal on their instruments, but they're just you know normal people, totally down to earth. Like you said, everybody's trying to help each other out there's not really a lot of closely guarded secrets and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and that that's you brought it up the bummer about this summer is we were really hoping to get out and do a lot more festivals this year because where we're at now or where i'm located at now compared to last year i was in tallahassee florida and the festival scene out there is very one genre mm-hmm. like it's like top 40 type stuff oh, okay and, and which is fine but we want to be able to work with like all different types of musicians and so i feel like now that i'm in texas it's like well you got picking on picnic up in missouri that we can get to you got a whole bunch of bluegrass festivals out in Colorado and then country festivals and then rock fest, you know, just a whole bunch of different stuff that we get to relatively easy. So, and I was really looking forward to taking advantage of that this summer and yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah. Um, but so you got a new uh, album coming out on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the name of the, what's the name of the album and uh, what, what's kind of the uh, backstory behind it? Uh, the name of the album is just Charlie Stevens. You only get one chance to make your your first record named after yourself. So I figured I'd go ahead and go ahead and run with it and uh, save the inspirational album title for a future one. Um, gotcha. And yeah, uh, it's just something that I had been wanting to do for a long time. But I was really motivated by a teacher I had in school, Martin Gilmore, and he made part of my project to have have a few things recorded and to kind of make a plan. And and so I kind of had him to chat with when I was planning the whole thing. Um, so that was that was really great. And he really kind of uh, just made me realize that I, I could do it. For years, I'd kind of thought about it, but it just seems like this massive, expensive task. And I couldn't really get my head around it to uh, figure out how to actually get it done. I had been pretty close to, uh, to doing it with a few bands I was in, but things kind of change and you know and then you realize that committing to an entire album with a band is kind of a risk if people aren't really into it and stuff like that um so I hadn't really considered doing like a solo album until that point and he kind of made me realize that that was something I 
I should really consider. And uh, I got into that and it was, it was pretty cool. I realized uh, by doing it that, you know, I could, I could actually do it. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I would have uh, really given myself that push without it, but um, yeah, it was, it was good. I had to get a lot of different people. I didn't really have a solid band at the time, but I knew a lot of musicians again from the bluegrass community out here is just awesome. So I just kind of met a ton of great players and uh, it was, it was really kind of fun to get different people involved and, and do this. So, yeah, so it's all original material. Most of it I recorded because I had this uh, kind of deadline to, to get it done. Mm -hmm. Did have a few songs kind of in the can by that point, but most of it, uh, I just kind of wrote because I knew I, I needed stuff. And uh, I think it came out pretty good. That's another benefit to giving yourself a, a deadline as an artist, you know, especially as a student, I think, you know, that you really give yourself a pass of, oh, well, when I know more, when I when I have more in the future, I'll, I'll get all this stuff done. But, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately, you just got to got to do stuff and, and trust yourself to get it done and, and learn while you're doing and all that good stuff. But um. Yeah, so it was a, it was a great experience. It it took it took a while. We had a lot of different issues. Um, didn't even really know what kind of issues I would come across until I tried it, though. So you know, I'm I'm pretty happy with how the whole thing turned out, and I'm really excited to get it out there. Awesome. Uh, so how long has this uh, album been in the making? How long? Uh, we recorded it all in three days back in March of okay. 2019, and then I've been kind of taking some time to, to get it out. Most of it was some issues with mixing. We had kind of an issue with the guy who was working on it in the beginning and ended up having to change hands on it and get it mixed with two different places and stuff like that. So mostly just kind of logistical things, but there was a lot of slow moving back and forth for a while. And then we finally were able to make some more progress on it. So it took a while. Um, and that's, that's kind of been my main focus during the whole quarantine is trying to spend more time just working on this. The hardest part has really been promotion and just kind of getting it out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That's promotion is definitely a very hard thing, but it's something that you need to focus on. Like you need to give yourself time and just like really have a plan put in place, I guess is the best way to say that. Um, but as far as like song selection for the album goes, did you specifically write all the songs for this album or were you pulling from like just a catalog of songs you had written? What, what was kind of that selection process like for you? Um, well, I had like two songs that were in the bluegrass style before I started working on this really that I had been kind of, cause I'm, I was, I was pretty new to bluegrass before I, got out here. So I had been writing songs for a while, but none that were intentionally really in that style. Um, but before I had the idea to record, I did have have some some songs, which ended up being the first two songs on the album. So those I already felt pretty strong about. Um, and one of like the last song on the album was just a very old song that I found in a notebook that I wrote uh, maybe 10 years ago and, and decided to include that. But everything else I wrote uh, in in the two or three months that I had a date to record and when I had decided to do that. And I kind of uh, wrote everything in between, in between that and preparation for the, for the date. 
and uh, yeah, recorded it all on my cell phone and <laughs> emailed it to different people to so they could learn it. And you know, for the most part, I don't even know if I sent out any charts. I might have sent out a few, but some of them were were kind of tricky too. But you know, these guys are so good that it was it, it was a really uh, fun experience to be able to do that and say, hey, check out this this thing I recorded on my phone and have them be like, Oh yeah, sounds great. I'll be there. <laughs> you that's, know? that's awesome. Um, before you were, uh, before you came out to Colorado and really started diving into bluegrass, uh, what kind of music were you playing? Uh, that one was a band called carbonated insight was my main band that I was working with back home. Um, and that was the band that I was talking about earlier that my brother and I were in. Yeah. So he sort of started that with some of his buddies. That was back before it even had a name, but the other guitar player moved away or something like that. So they got me involved. And um, yeah, at that point I had, I'd mostly played acoustic before that, but not bluegrass, just, um, I don't know. I had just mostly played rhythm and, and sung, but then for this project, they wanted me to play electric. So uh, I didn't even have one. I was borrowing the, the bass player's uh, father's Telecaster for, for the early part of that. And that was great. And uh kind of got into electric and we were, we were kind of doing like blues and rock and just easy stuff like that at the time. Um, but that project lasted several years and we, we eventually evolved to doing mostly original and it, it got pretty funky. We didn't have horns. I hesitate to ever say it was like a funk project, but it was a, it was a pretty funky jam band. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. That's really awesome. Um, and so now that you're a hundred percent focused on you're, it's fair to say you're hundred percent focused on bluegrass right now, kind of moving forward with your music. You know, I, I guess so. I, I, I was going to bring this up earlier when you were talking about how in, I think you said it was Tallahassee where they're just kind yeah. of focused on one thing and you miss out on the festivals where you can go around and, and, and get all these, this different type of music. And uh, I think that's one thing that I've always been attracted to in musical genres too, is the inclusiveness of other styles, you know, and uh, that's why I was really in, into jam band music. That's obviously kind of a hodgepodge of different styles. But, you know, jazz is that way. Rock and roll is really that way because it's borrowing from the blues. You know, everything is sort of referencing and working towards each other. And really good music uh, kind of meets pretty, pretty close. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not too far off. You know, bluegrass is, is heavily built on the blues, too. So, I think all this stuff is really tied together and, and uh, I really gravitate towards all music that kind of allows you to, to explore for it. Um, I, I actually studied classical guitar when I went to school too and had to do a lot of uh, classical history classes and performance practices classes and stuff like that. And that really did give me a respect for why genres do have to be defined because, you know, there's only so many notes and, uh, if, you, if, if, if the elements don't matter, it's all kind of a wash. So if, if styles are kind of defined by these small details. And so I think you should respect those and, and know what they are. But I also think that you should challenge those and kind of explore those and, you know, maybe use ones that wouldn't be appropriate in that style if you think it would be cool and, you know, stuff like that. So uh, I don't know. I kind of hesitate to say I'm 100% bluegrass, but living here in Colorado has seemed to be the way to do it. I can put together bluegrass gigs. Sometimes they're with different uh, instruments. And because we all have such a core 
repertoire of tunes because everybody goes to to picks all the time and calls mm -hmm. tunes and plays together anyway so you know uh the more i work with people the more they know my originals and and the more they know like the weird tunes that i'm into and stuff like that but you know it, you can you can kind of get different people to jam with you because you have a lot of other material to fall back on and it doesn't all have to be as coordinated as some of the jam band stuff i used to do where it's very arranged and stuff like that um so for right now, that's really just been seeming to, to suit me, you know? Um, and, and like I said, I really do dig it. It's, it's a lot of fun, but um, yeah, I've always had trouble, trouble doing that kind of building a brand and, and saying, Hey, this is, this is what I do. Cause it's, it, I, I don't necessarily want to be limited to that. You know, I really uh, enjoy playing a lot of different kinds of music. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you kind of uh, touched on this uh, uh, the beginning of the podcast, but obviously with the pandemic, there hasn't been many shows going on. You said right or uh, lately things have kind of slowly been picking up, but have you been doing anything to kind of challenge yourself musically during this pandemic? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been trying to just practice more, I guess, just treat the time in, in the woodshed more. Um, I've been challenging myself more in how I've been kind of marketing and just been exploring that kind of stuff, especially with finalizing the record and actually having something real I could run with and stuff like that. So that's really been the biggest thing that's been, that's been new. Um, I was, I've also been challenging myself with the whole online thing. I've done several uh, Facebook live concerts and um, I've also been teaching online. So I had to move everything from in-person teaching to online um, so that was, that was a new experience. So yeah, it's all sort of been, sort of been challenging. Um, do you mean like personally, personally, musically, like, uh, on an artistic level more specifically or, or what? Um, yeah, that, or have you been trying to experiment with bringing in new sounds into like the bluegrass genre or experimenting with new sounds in general? Um, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think my, my album actually does kind of do that. It, it, it references, um, it's not really too traditional, but I think that there are parts of it where it, it shows, you know, an, it has enough tradition to, to be bluegrass for sure. Mm -hmm. Uses all the instrumentation, the bluegrass instrumentation has, has the, a lot of the elements, but then there are other songs that kind of push those and, um, I tried to kind of do that. I tried to kind of stretch it and, and let my own voice be heard and not be too limited to any of those ideas. Um, but specifically, I don't really know if I've had any genius ideas to do that lately. Um, I really like to, and this is not really a new idea, like guys like the Seldom Scene have been doing this forever, but I really like to take like rock tunes that I grew up listening to and, you know, make them into bluegrass songs mm -hmm. or or vice versa you know um yeah. but uh yeah i don't know i, I uh i'm always kind of looking for for stuff like that i guess yeah absolutely but. absolutely it's uh you know and right if right now is like the perfect time to get a little crazy with your music because most people most musicians have a little bit of extra time since they're not worrying about shows or having to get to gigs or if they're full-time musicians and don't have any don't have another job they're 
got a lot more time on their hands right now because they're not playing any shows, you know? Right. But, so that that's kind of where that question kind of comes from because it's always interesting to hear like when a country musician says, oh yeah, I've been listening to a lot of reggae music and trying to work that like the reggae sound into my music, you know? So it's always just kind of interesting mm-hmm. to hear. So, but, um, how's, um, how's the uh, live streams been going for you? Uh, they're all right. I didn't really do that many of them. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but from the general vibe I get, I feel like the audience is a little burnt out on them. So I, I haven't really been doing too much. Like I said, I've been teaching. So um, I'm not necessarily somebody who's had tons of extra time on my hands. I'm, I still have a pretty similar schedule with a lot of the stuff I was I was doing. Um, so uh, that's that's been kind of, you know, tough to juggle a lot of that. But um, yeah, I thought the live streams were pretty fun. I, I participated when they were part of like an event and they were mm-hmm. and everybody was kind of sharing each other's streams and yeah. Uh, one was called the NoCo Live from Home show. That was really cool. That they yeah. did up here and they got a lot of really good people to play. We all played back to back. So that was really fun. I, I tuned into those when they were happening. I don't, I haven't heard about those in a while. So I kind of think that they, they stopped now, mm-hmm. now that outdoor shows are a thing. Um, yeah, they, they, were, they were really hot at the beginning and I'll see a couple pop up here and there. But now it's not nearly as popular as it was two months ago, I guess. Right. But, um, you know, and it's one of those things where it was just such a huge learning curve and the amount of effort that it takes to put one of those on, like organizing, like if you're talking like an actual virtual festival, the amount of effort that actually goes in, it's like as much as trying to put on an actual festival, like, cause you got to coordinate schedules. You got to do advanced sound check. You got to, you know, you just got to do all these things. And if it's just you by yourself, it's kind of like, Oh crap. You know? And then if nobody shows up, it's like, Oh, crap. You know, so it's just like this series of oh, craps. Like, right. so it it's just, it's really hard. But, and I think a lot of, a lot of them are happening on Instagram now. If they're still, if they're still happening, they're happening on Instagram at this point. Okay. Just because it looks like Instagram um, kind of morphed a little bit quicker than everyone else and made it a lot easier to do stuff like that. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's just kind of what I've picked up on as far as like noticing where the trend is, mm-hmm. you know. But so what was the for you, what was the hardest part about doing or what was the biggest learning curve about doing the live streams? Oh boy. Um I don't know, just a just a technology, I guess, and trying to figure it all out where I could share everything once you're going and you're already playing and you know you got to flip the little camera around so it doesn't look like you're playing left and just just little stuff but at the yeah. same time i wanted to put on like a really good show too because i hadn't played in a while and 
had like a week's notice or something. So I remember it was kind of a push and trying to work on material and, you know, get this thing up and running and everything like that. So um, that was probably the biggest learning curve was just learning my limitations as far as technology and kind of learning what kind of things I need to think about investing in and, and that kind of stuff, which uh, is looking more and more like a smart idea all the time where, where we're sitting. Right. So. Yep. yep. Uh, I, I, it's, it's yeah. I, like, I mean, live streaming, like live streaming concerts is just so hit or miss because the sound quality is going to make it or break it. Mm-hmm. And like, if you don't have the interface or if you don't have the microphones or if you just don't have the software, you know, it's, it's so hit or miss. Like I did couple, cause early on we did a couple. Um, and it was like some, some musicians, their audio was amazing because they had the interface, they had the microphone, like they had the whole setup and they took the time to figure out how to get it set up. And then you had some that sounded okay just because they knew enough to make it sound okay. And then you had some that were just absolutely atrocious because, you know, just for various reasons. So, right. But, you know, it is weird. Yeah, it's, it's tough. But um, one of the things that we like to do here on Live and Amplified is we like to pass on knowledge to younger musicians. Uh, so, from your perspective, what's the best piece of an or what's the most useful piece of knowledge you've learned since starting to play music professionally oh boy most useful piece of knowledge i've learned since or maybe something you wish you knew when you first got started oh man um i'll have to think to see if there's one that really jumps out but you know, there's, there's a ton of stuff like that. But as I was saying earlier with the record, there's just so many things that I didn't know that I didn't know until I got into it. So even mm-hmm. though that was sort of something that took me a while to do and I, and I thought about it, oh, when I get to this phase, I'll plan it out a certain way. Still, when I got there, I, it, it was different than, than how I imagined it. So uh, really, you just got to do it. I'd say a good piece of information is to be patient with yourself, trust in the process, but don't shortchange yourself either. Make sure that when you're, when you're practicing, you're giving it that uh, dedicated thought process, you know, and I used to be bad about that. I would, I would just jam blues licks while I watch TV and, and stuff like that, you know, um, and I think there's a time and a place for that. I think you can, you can do that and that can count as practice. If that gets a young person's hands on the on the instrument for like eight hours a day because they're doing that. I think that is ultimately a good thing. But I, I, I think that people should realize that it's not necessarily practice to do that. And you have to kind of know what your goals are and set little mini goals and, and reach them. I think that's pretty huge. And again, that's stuff that you don't know, you don't know <laughs> at yeah. the time. You, you can't say I'm going to do this little goal if I don't know what it is. So I don't know. I think you've got to be patient with yourself and keep chipping away at it. Uh, you know, there's tons of great teachers out there that can help you. There's tons of great resources online. So you can figure out the things that you don't know pretty quickly. And then mm-hmm. you just can't let them overwhelm you. And you got to trust in the process and, and be kind to yourself as you, as you stuck for a really long time, <laughs> figuring yeah. it out, you know, yeah, and, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you know when, when I get there, but. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this uh, new album that's coming out on Friday, 
Uh-huh. It's your debut album as a solo act. Have you released work prior? Um, no, not as my name. I've recorded on on a few albums, but um, nothing that was that that was mine. We we had started too with my band. We had recorded a, a demo in a basement and stuff like that, and, uh, and then a different incarnation of my band that was out here in in Fort Collins when it started to kind of shift around and. Uh, people started to leave and other people started to come in. We existed out here for a little while and we had recorded um, at this place called uh, Rock Solid Recording Studio or something like that. It was in this place called the Downtown Artery. That was a cool spot. I think they might be closing up too now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I heard. So that's kind of a another bummer. Um, but yeah, we, we had won some studio time at, at one of these things at the, the Music District, which is another cool Fort Collins thing that they have. And they give seminars and stuff, and they had given us some free time in their studio. Uh, so we got close, but then that band sort of dissolved, and we never released any of that stuff. Um, I recorded at uh, the place that I recorded my album here in Fort Collins. is called Stout Studios, and... Um, I had played there on somebody else's album a year or two before that. Um, mm. His name was Nick Critchlow and he recorded an album and I played uh, bass on all the tracks and lead guitar on all the tracks and then some, some vocal harmonies. And I had done a few other recording uh, projects on other people's projects before then too. But no, this is my first real, uh, real release for me. Cool, cool. Uh, and what was the experience like for you to go into a studio and actually record your own music for your own project? Oh, it was great. It was great. It was it was incredibly stressful. It was kind of uh, um, we had a lot of last minute changes and in plans, including including like where we did it, and the, then I had uh, I had like a weekend picked out, and I had people involved to do it, and then I had to change some of the musicians and just like. A lot of a lot of variables came up and it was it was kind of a mess so i was i was kind of stressed out about the whole thing um a lot of the time uh but it it, it was ultimately really cool um the last day i had already done some most of my tracks for for one of these songs we did it's uh like the second to last song on the album it's called the cat's meow and i had already done all my parts and i had the other guys in the studio and I had a cello and a, and a violin player in there. And uh, he played fiddle on every other track, but this one was, was violin, I think. Um, but anyhow, they, they actually asked me to like conduct because they wanted to kind of build this thing with me. And I was trying to explain to them how to kind of add the strings to it. So it was, it was a really cool experience. I was basically like, you know, a, a producer and just kind of in the control room, like kind of communicating with them and not actually like a recording artist that day. So just to have the whole, the whole phase of that from being the guy who ordered the pizzas to making sure everybody was going to show up to, you know, writing the songs to recording them and then getting to do that. It was, it was, it was pretty cool, but it was kind of stressful. I didn't like enjoy it as much as I should have at the time because I had so much going on you know, but, uh, but it, it, it was really cool to do that. Um, and like I said, now I, now I know how it goes. So I think I'm going to be a little bit more relaxed the next time I do it. And, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see, but you know, um, 
you know, I was wearing a lot of hats that day or those, those three days. Yeah. We did the whole thing in three days. So then to sit on it for like a year and a half was kind of funny too. And just yeah. have all these other things show up, but I really made sure that we got the, you know, we had that deadline and we, we got it done, you know, so. <laughs> I, you know, and what I really like about what you're saying is even though I'm sure you wanted to get everything done and mixed mastered, it doesn't seem like you tried to push anybody to just finish the job. Is that, is that fair to say? Right. Yeah, exactly. So once it was done, we were just trying to, trying to make it the best we could and take our time to, to figure it out. Um, what was, what was one of the lessons you took away from that recording session? Um, Oh, there's, there's just so many. Um, one thing I, I would like to do in the future is, is to not do it all myself and to have like a producer or at least a good ear and somebody in the room to talk to because trying to look at every detail of everything so closely is, is just too much to handle when you're actually there trying to be in the right headspace to record all your parts and everything like that, you know? So I, I think that would have that that that's probably the, the the main takeaway that that I got from it is that the next time I, w I would rather do it with like a partnership that I can really have somebody whose opinion I value and we can kind of chat it out together and I don't have to be second guessing every every little thing you know um but but again you know it was a first experience so even if I did it all again myself I would know different things to listen to I would probably react to them differently and, and, and be more cool anyway. So um, I don't know. Also practice with a metronome. That's what I would tell that kid from earlier too. That's one thing I definitely learned in the studio. You know, you can practice with a bluegrass band uh, a lot, but then once you get in the, in the studio and everybody's in different rooms recording with a click track, it's, it's different, you know? So yeah. that's something that, that I would, that I definitely have been working on more, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think playing to a click track is something that people don't really think of uh -huh. as something they need to practice or get used to because you know, just they're so used to playing with their uh, with their band and going off each other's timing. But when you're in a studio and if you're depending on how you're recording, if you're doing like a straight up live session or if you're all in different rooms or you're all coming in at separate times that click track is going to save your life exactly yeah and yeah it's a little it's a little weird for for stuff like that like you said bands that are really used to feeling each other's times and stuff like that because you know in a live experience you kind of want it to be able to give a little bit you don't necessarily want to be locked i mean i'm sure bands that can do that probably sound sound better than us and are able to give it that effective push pull anyway. But, you know, I would rather have the whole band stay together than us mm -hmm. to finish exactly at the, at the same BPM. So yeah. it's, it's kind of a difference of what you're, you're prioritizing, you know, if yeah. you're in a, in a jam, yeah, you want to keep your timing going, but if every other person is like a little behind where you think the beat is, maybe you should just play where, where they are. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. It depends on what instrument you play, I guess, if you're, you know, but if you're really responsible for keeping the beat, but, uh, you know, if you're like a lead player or something, everybody thinks they're in a certain place, even if you're tapping your foot and you're totally certain that they're dragging, like you should 
just play with your band. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in a recording situation, you have different things that you have to prioritize because going back and editing anything is, uh, you know, not impossible without a click track, but it might as well be because it's just never going to be the way you want it to sound. I don't think it's always going to be a little bit, you know, a little bit weird sounding. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so kind of moving forward, once you get the album released, what's the next steps? Are you going to be looking at doing like music videos? Are you going to just automatically start working towards a next, another album or singles? Like what's the plan kind of moving forward? Yeah. Good question. I was hoping I'd be able to do more with this and, and kind of get this out. And I was probably wasn't going to tour with it anyway, because the way the band came together was not like a, a working band where we all jammed together all the time anyway. Yeah. So, uh, I probably wasn't going to do that, but I would. I was still kind of planning on on kind of getting out there and, and hitting the ground live a little bit more. And now that we're in this situation, it really seems like it's probably going to be a while before before that comes back uh, yeah. to a large degree. So, been kind of thinking about the plan. Uh, I definitely want to start recording more. I'm probably just going to release singles you know i'm gonna mm -hmm. see just start with one instead of making the big project just kind of start with the next track that i think is worth going to the studio and take that in and cut it and see how mm -hmm. fast i can get it out and and go from there um a lot of people kind of cautioned me from even releasing an album and said hey you should just release chop this up and, and do a ton of singles from this you know mm -hmm. because nothing's going on right now um and that's good advice. I get where they're coming from because then you kind of stretch out your your material. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't want to do that. You know, this is my first release. I don't have, you know, I, a lot of people who uh, who know me and follow me know I've been working on this for a while. So yeah. it didn't seem fair to kind of piece it out. Maybe if I, you know, even had one other record out, I would think about doing that. But as, as a first release, it just doesn't seem right to the fans. I feel like I should just give them the whole thing and yeah. work on the next one from there you know what i mean yeah absolutely especially if you've been out playing shows prior to covid talking about and building up this album that you can't just turn around and be like oh well i can't support it so we're gonna just run singles for now and it's, totally you know, totally yeah. well i actually never went public about it i don't think um, but uh but no a lot of people knew and it was it was you know I wasn't going to do that. I totally agree with you. Just didn't seem like the move for this one. Um, but I understand why, why people do that. I, I don't blame them. And that's probably what I'm going to do in the future and just kind of take it track by track. If I get a really good idea to record, you know, a couple at a time, I might, I might do that. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of the way, the way things are going, uh, especially with people's attention spans. Like people sure. just want to hear a single anyway. And if you have, I've been finding that I that I am, am almost regretting that I didn't do at least one other single though because now I'm I'm thinking I had this kind of big thing for my first single that was pretty well received and now I'm gonna have the album but a lot of people won't listen to the whole thing and there might be songs that they don't that they don't get on there so I can yeah. see why people do it you know if you got something worth releasing go ahead and drop it as a single and then when you got enough you can you can put them together but yeah. um I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because it, it's interesting, like, the, I, I was talking about it on our live stream last night um, with the whole CEO of Spotify making the comments that he made. Right. And it's like, you know, 
on one hand he's right but on the other hand he's not the person to be making those statements like no, somebody, totally yeah and 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 the worst the, the, the part that stuck out to me about that is you know i i published my album through cd baby so i get yeah. little notifications when they release youtube videos and shit <laughs> like that pardon my french i don't know yeah. what the uh, no you're good you're you're 100 good all so, right yeah uh but anyhow like they're, they always have been sending videos pretty often, letting everybody know that that they're overwhelmed with content. They're like, hey, we're experienced delays because everybody is doing this. So for that guy to turn around and say that people aren't responding to this by doing that yeah. is is just, you know, kind of insensitive to the people who are busting their asses to do just that, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like for your first project out, releasing an album i think is a good idea you probably could have built it up and done like a more traditional release where it was like three singles and then release the album but you know that's that's like a very old school model mm. but it's it it has a tendency to work and like i'm not 100 percent familiar with how like album releases and like what works best for bluegrass but like this day and age it's got to be one of those situations where anything you put on an album, you could literally throw a dart at the track list and that could be the lead single off your album. Like that's the caliber of music people have to produce nowadays to grab people's attention. Mm -hmm. does, that, does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you, if you're going to put out an album, like that body of work has got to be like Teflon almost Everybody. right well so you make a really good point about quality but that leaves out music that's that's meant to be enjoyed as an album though and, and now we're talking about how the industry has kind of moved away from albums like dark side of the moon because mm -hmm. you know you're not going to throw a dart and i mean you probably will that album is great but it's yeah. meant to be listened to together is my yep. point you know yep. so and that that's i i really enjoy when bands kind of take that effort of crafting a kind of complete story as far as so like when you start with song one and go to song let's say 12 and so like through the entire thing you're going through an, a journey mm -hmm. i really respect that because not a lot of musicians do that anymore you know it's but you know i enjoy going listening to an album and going on a journey Right. And that's kind of what I tried to do with mine. Mine kind of has the, the kind of the, the hard driving bluegrassy stuff in the beginning. And then after that, it's kind of the more a uh, few songs that kind of show you where the roots of that music are from. And then there's one that's sort of more uh, what where that music went, kind of more progressive nature. And, uh, and then it kind of has more of a, I don't know, a, a folky kind of... Uh, more mellow vibe at the end so it's it, it but the energy level of the whole thing is is kind of uh kind of what i was what i was going for the message behind all the lyrics and stuff is not necessarily a concept album but i feel like when you listen to it you can kind of you know experience this this kind of energy level where it starts kind of high and then it kind of peaks and then it kind of takes you out and and whatnot and it, and it kind of gives you a sense of all the different facets that this music could be you know 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I really achieved that, but that's something that I was that that I like to think I was I was doing when I when I made it. And and I think that's important about it. You know, I think what you're going for is so important. If I play one note, you know, I want to be feeling what that note means to me and thinking about that and trying to do that. And just by doing that, you can convey that to the listener sometimes. Mm. So I think it is important to have that thought process. And I do worry that we're going to lose that type of artistry in the future as everything becomes based on, on singles, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, not, not to proper prop up the podcast as this huge soapbox because I myself am in no position to say, hey, this is how musicians need to release music because I'm not a musician. I can't carry a tune. I can't play a lick. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know. But, you know, it it, it was just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I don't know. And it's also got a lot to do with how the music industry has changed in general and how people look at the industry. So... Yeah, and I think it's important for us to kind of educate our fans on how they can really support the musicians that they're mm-hmm. into, because a lot of people just don't know. And in a way, you you know, you can turn on Spotify and, and stream everything. And that's and that's cool. Like, that's kind of the way that the future is. And we can't really run from that. People are going to use that. And, you know, hopefully we can start paying the artists more. But I feel like that technology is not really a bad thing. But, you know, people who really want to support their favorite artists can still go to their shows, buy their merch, you know, their albums, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like there's there's ways and those ways can be really cool because you're actually connecting with the acts that you like. And part yeah. of the problem with where the music industry has gone is, is just the whole commercialization of it and, you know all that and how much money these these acts can bring in because they sound really good in soda commercials and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. that's that's not what a lot of fans who are really into music care about you know so i think connecting with those people is 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 a really important thing to do and not you know and which is which is kind of cool about playing a music like bluegrass and and musics that are that uh you know aren't are we're never really that super popular you know what i mean because you kind of know what you're getting into like you know they have a joke about bluegrass they're like yeah you should get into it for the money you can make literally hundreds of dollars or something <laughs> like that I've, I've heard it told different ways but uh that's what yeah no I, but what i do like really like what's really interesting to me about bluegrass is the two different camps like really the two different camps you have about bluegrass you have essentially your staunch traditionalist where if you walk outside that very fine line of what bluegrass is like if you try and push the boundaries just a little bit no that's not real bluegrass and then you have people that are like no if they say it's bluegrass it's bluegrass you know like they they're open to somebody bringing in like a cajon player or some kind of percussionist or stretching, stretching the boundaries kind of like Tyler Grant does with Grant's farm, you know, like Mm -hmm. just like really pushing the boundaries of what bluegrass is. And that's just really interesting to me because it's like, okay, you got these two camps, but when they both hear good bluegrass, it's like, okay, but we're still bluegrass. So it doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I make this joke at my shows sometimes, and I say, "Hey, I uh, 
I know you guys love to argue about what is and what ain't bluegrass, so I sure wouldn't rob you of that joy, but uh, we'll just play it and, and let you figure it out for yourself, you know. Um, but no, I love that. I, I play with those traditional guys too, and they'll all give me give me a hard time for throwing in like a, a minor six chord on going on top of the world or whatever and uh, yeah. stuff like that. Um, but I've kind of earned some respect from those guys too, because I will certain songs I will play the right way and the way that they think they're supposed to go, and kind of demonstrate to them that I that I know what that is. And I respect those guys for for wanting to kind of keep that flame alive. Because like I was saying earlier, um, it's it's a very difficult thing to define genres and to keep styles as what they are. It's very fine lines of stylistic stuff. And I totally believe you should be able to bend them, but I think you need to have respect enough for them to know yeah. what you're bending and why and, and stuff like that. So you should you should know the history of it and, and know that they probably wouldn't do certain notes or chords over certain songs, but yeah. you know, um, and I think that's what, what upsets traditionalists is not that when people do that, not when people take a risk to put a, a weird chord in a song or something, but it's when they do it and they don't, they don't know why they don't, they don't see that as being like, um, so I like to say that music is, is, is a series of, of setting up expectations and then either meeting or defying those. Right. So if you're putting, I used an example of a minor six chord. And I don't want to get music theoretical, but that could function, that could replace a one chord. So if, if the song's supposed to have a one chord and I put in a six there, that's fine because I'm setting up this expectation and defying that because you're expecting to hear that one chord. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's okay. But if you don't even know that that's where it's supposed to go and you're setting up the expectation to the six chord, then you're kind of playing the song wrong. <laughs> you know, and I know that's kind of a... a, a a roundabout point but uh yeah i think you kind of need to know the rules in order to break them you know yeah yeah you need to know and have respect for the traditions before you can go in and start bending them and it improving them is the word you want to use or you know like whatever the word you want to use to, to kind of bend the rules and the right. traditions. And, so. and how are we going to define that? Because if you play with old bluegrass records, like we were talking about playing with a metronome before, <laughs> good yes. luck playing with a metronome along with one of, with some of those records. Like they don't stay in one place. Sometimes it's hard to even find their tuning, right? Yes. So are, are we being so traditionalist that we're, we're not going to play in tune? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Or uh, stuff like that, right? So that's not disrespecting the tradition to, to be in, in slightly better tune because we have slightly better technology to, to do that and stuff. But uh, so it, it's kind of funny when you go down that road. It, ultimately, as an interpreter of music, you're making choices like that all the time you know so yeah. to judge what other people's choices are and to say that some are correct and some are correct is a pretty hilarious argument to have and and you know a lot of, a lot of fun i've had a lot of good times going down that road but um i don't know it's it's all subjective ultimately um but i think knowing where people are coming from and, and having respect for a common idiom of music is important because then you can use that as a common ground to then branch off and say other stuff. But if you don't know enough about that, then it's hard for you to, to communicate with somebody else who is steeped in that tradition. You might not be able to stretch them closer to your blues style or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, I don't want to keep you too much longer because it's still relatively early out by you, but um, so album releases on Friday, 
what's one thing you hope people take away from the album once they listen to it? Oh man, good question. I just hope they enjoy it. I just hope they want to play it again. They listen to it and go, man, that was good. You know, uh, yeah. I hope it brings them just a little bit of joy during all this time of uh, 2020 that hasn't been so full of joy. I hope it just makes them forget about all that for a little bit and just really have a good time and, and enjoy listening to it, you know? Um, and maybe they'll find some personal personal messages. There's a couple things in my lyrics about my personal life that might resonate with, with folks. And if that happens, I think that's great too. But ultimately I just want them to tap their toe and enjoy the tunes, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, do you have any, I, I know you'd mentioned that uh, shows are starting to happen in the in the area do you have any shows on the on the docket that you're looking forward to playing uh just one i've been pretty pretty slow we just did one in loveland that was pretty fun uh like last weekend or two weekends ago or something um and now i have one at a, at a brewery called max line that's going to be on september 3rd so i'm not really sure what the deal is we, we played this one in loveland and, and the contract basically told us not to promote it and they had a ton of people who were who were out listening to us and enjoying it so it was it was, it was fun um but it's just an interesting experience usually you play gigs and they're like all right make sure you tell all your friends like bring everybody you can now it's like all right we have a seating capacity tell your friends not to dance if they come and yeah. all sorts of stuff like that so it's it's definitely interesting and a lot of the guys i play with are, are kind of uh, old timers. So I try not to get them out too much these days and you gotcha. know, they're trying to stay cautious and stuff like that. So, so the plan is the plan kind of moving forward to kind of build up a band behind you, or do you ultimately kind of see yourself just kind of piecing together bands as tours or shows kind of happen? Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I've, I've been working with the same, uh, with, with, with different people. I have kind of a large group uh, for when people aren't available I have other people sub in and stuff so it's a little bit larger than the band that I perform with at any one time but it's it's a pretty uh you know tight group a lot of these guys have been playing with me for a while now and yeah. we're getting closer and, and and tighter so I hope to keep playing with them but as as I mentioned some of them are a little bit older everybody's mm -hmm. kind of in different places with their lives yeah. I would like to hit the road and, and tour my music at some point yeah. Um, obviously with this all happening in the world, I'm not sure when that's going to be now. So I kind of put a, put a pin in that plan for now. Uh, but that may affect how I, how I staff the band moving forward, yeah. people who are willing to travel and, and stuff like that. But really the beautiful thing about my band is I've never asked anybody to make a commitment to, to do it because, you know, they're, they're just kind of playing when they can and offer me their time and their talents when they're available and stuff yeah. like that. And otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to play with many of them because they're all in other bands. And if you say, yeah. hey, you have to quit that other band and play with me, like that's that's not going to happen, you know. So mm -hmm. I have to respect that they're all talented and busy individuals. And so I've been kind of working with with that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's is that kind of like a bluegrass thing where you have like a, a bigger roster and. It, you have your certain people that you like to play with, but if like, say your mandolin player can't play, you have a backup or a second backup. Is that kind of a bluegrass thing or is, you know, I'm not sure. I know I had a teacher named Greg Sherrod. He was my voice teacher back in New Haven, Connecticut, and he's a blues player. And he's what got me into this idea in the first place, because 
he calls it the Greg Sherrod Music Company instead of the Greg Sherrod Band because he's he plays with a lot of different people and and you know based on their availability he'll have to staff different people throughout the years. Yeah. And uh, when I was first getting into booking gigs, I was in like two bands and you'd get a, a venue would call you for a date and you'd be all excited because you barely played shows out ever yet, you know. And uh, and then you know nobody could nobody could make it and you just get really bummed out oh well i got the bass player and you know but no drummer or whatever and yeah. you know uh so that kind of i i saw what greg was doing and i said all right there, there's something to that um and i know and i think it, it's just common with with different types of uh music and that's what what's cool about bluegrass i i mentioned this earlier that there's a really large canon of common repertoire that we can all jam on because most yeah. bluegrass players go to bluegrass festivals they go to bluegrass picks um on week on weeknights sometimes and they all know a lot of songs so even if i get even if somebody cancels last minute i have to get a totally different person we might have to cut some of our more complicated stuff but we'll be able to put on a really good show because everybody knows what they're doing you know and there's a certain amount of what are called what what you would call like bluegrass standards like that bluegrass musician needs to know and if worse comes to worse, you could always fall back to these standards and put on a really good show like you mentioned. Right. And I would say that, that exists probably in every genre, but there's there's a lot in bluegrass and bluegrass is a good one. But there are blues standards. You can do that. Funk standards. You know, I've been called in as a fill in guy for for bands in various styles just because I know I know the standards and stuff. But a lot of times it gets more specific. Like there's a lot like rock is kind of a broad term these days, you know, like if you're going to know every rock song, like what does that mean? If I show up knowing every rock song and you ask me to play Chuck Berry or you're going to ask me to play Eddie Van Halen, you know what I mean? So that could be that could that could be kind of different. So I can see where bluegrass is is different and that's what i love about it you can play with with like children children learn these songs and then you know the pe- the best players in the world you can watch them play up on youtube and they're they're not like too snobby to play that song they will just play that song the best you've ever heard it you know what i mean it's really cool yeah absolutely absolutely um so once the album releases where can everybody find it online where can they find you online if they want to kind of stay on top of everything Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I have a website, charliestevensmusic.com. Um, you can go on there. I have a link to purchase the album already up. I've been doing pre-orders for a little while now. Uh, it's also available on Bandcamp this Friday when it comes out. This is actually lining up with another uh, promotion that they're doing where all of their proceeds go to the musician. Uh, so, yeah, if you buy that album on Friday, they're going to forego their cut. And uh, so that, that, that'll be a cool day to buy it happens to be my release day anyway so i thought that was kind of cool uh you can also find me on facebook if you search me charlie stevens or maybe charlie stevens music and uh yeah i'm going to update the website and kind of have links to spotify but it will be available anywhere everywhere you listen to your music it's going to be on apple music and all those places too gotcha gotcha awesome well once again charlie thank you so much for jumping on the podcast really appreciate it uh, we're always looking for a way to get more bluegrass musicians on here. You know, it's, I don't know why it's so hard, but for whatever reason, it just seems to be a little bit harder to get bluegrass musicians to come in and sit down and chat, but we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it going one day. Um, but once again, I want to thank you so much. Thank you everybody for tuning in and we'll catch you guys later. Yeah. Thanks. Nice talking with you. Have a great night. Yep.